So, as we think about uh, our, our time in Ezra, we're, we're having a look at what I've entitled a precious return. And, uh, you know, we all have things in life that are precious to us. And a lot of those things are material things that are precious to us. It may be something that's been handed down to you from generation to generation. Um, I know a lot of people will, will have their, you know, their, their mother's rings or jewellery or whatever passed down. Our kids are in for a shock because I don't think our jewellery will last that long to pass down. But in, in bygone times, that kind of was, was, was the tradition and, and things were kept within the family. Some people have, um, uh, I mean, I was talking to Brian even last week and he was telling me about uh, a Bible his great-great-grandfather had. Um, and, you know, that's a precious thing to have and sometimes these things are stay in families. And... Uh, you know, before I got saved, if you asked me what material thing was most precious to me, um, I, to be honest, it would have depended on what was happening at the moment and the time. It might have been my car. I, I was into cars. I liked fast cars, sporty cars. And, uh, you know, probably at the time, it might have been my car. Um, but then I got saved. And then God went to work in my heart. And if you were to ask me now what would be the most precious thing to me right now, I would say it's this very Bible that I have here. Is most precious to me. Absolutely, I would say it is. Uh, I can remember uh, Claire's dad telling a story, and I'm sure Pastor Murph told it in here before, about how they were going, I'm maybe paraphrasing a little, but you'll, you'll get a gist of it. Um, Pastor Murph paraphrases in his illustrations all the time, trust me. Um, so, um, was I think it was they were going on holiday, if I'm correct, and they had the, the, the car packed, I'm sure you've heard this, and the car was stolen, and you know he, his Bible was in there with all his notes and stuff like that. And of course he's devastated because of the holiday belongings, but also because of the Bible. And then he gets a phone call um, from somebody to say, you know, have you lost your Bible? And it turned out that they'd thrown it into a field or something. Those that had stolen the car, car and a horse had got it and ate it a little. And uh, but he was able to get the Bible back, and you know he was thrilled at that because it was precious to him. It was precious to him. And when we get into Ezra chapter one, we're going to see some precious things. Um, we're going to see uh, the receiving of some precious things, but we're also going to see the return of some precious things as the people start to muster on their journey to go back to the place that they should have been and they should have stayed if they'd have been obedient to God. God would have protected them. God would have kept them in the land, but we know what happened. They're in the exile, but now they're getting ready for this precious return. And they're going to receive some precious things. And then also we're going to see some precious things are returned to them. So firstly, let's look at verse 5 and 6 and pick up in our account. And we will be going through Ezra uh, line by line, verse by verse. So whenever we do a little bit of overlap each week on the verses, it's just because we're staying in the context. But let's look at verse 5 and 6. We're going to see the return of precious things. Ezra chapter 1 verse 5. Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with all them whose spirit God had raised to go up and build the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. And they that were about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods and with beasts and with precious things beside all that was willingly offered. So remember, you know, we're building the context of the story as we're going along. And we've seen how God has stirred the heart of the heathen ruler. He stirred the hearts of the people. And they're starting to move now. And things are starting to build. And, and we looked at it last week, how that some 
were to stay, and actually the majority did stay. And when we, when we look at this, we'll look at this when we get into chapter number two of those that went. We'll find actually from the priesthood and the Levites, there's a very minimal number that actually goes, which is very damning upon the spiritual leadership of the people, the remnant people that are in exile. There's only about 10% of the Levites and the, and, and the priests that go. Um, why? Probably because they were too comfortable where they were, is the honest answer for that one. But we, we looked at how, you know, the people have been stirred to go. And there was those that were going, those pioneers, those that were going on this difficult and treacherous journey under the strength of God. Their hearts have been stirred to go. But we looked at it last week. For those that didn't go, those that were staying behind, their duty and their obligation was not removed. That they were to support that work. And they were to give in to that work. They couldn't go for whatever reason, but they were to support others to go. It's his mission. Mentality. So God was stirring the hearts of the people to give to the work. And, and, and that's a biblical pattern, you know, and especially around uh, God's dwelling place. It's a biblical pattern. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 35. Exodus 35. We're going to see this concept at the tabernacle Exodus 35 let's read verse 4 and 5 first of all Exodus 35 verse 4 and Moses spake unto all the congregation of the children of Israel saying this is the thing which the Lord commanded saying take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord Whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it. You know, that's a concept carries to the New Testament. Willing given, a cheerful giver. Let him bring it, an offering of the Lord, gold and silver and brass. Then look down to verse 21. Notice this. And they came, everyone whose heart had stirred him up, everyone whom his spirit made willing, and they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle and of the congregation for all his service and for the holy uh, garments. Verse 22, And they came, both men and women, as many as were willing-hearted, and brought bracelets and earrings and rings and tablets and all jewels of gold, and every man that offered an offering unto the Lord, of gold unto the Lord. This is precious things. And every man with whom was found blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and red skins of rams and badger skins brought them. And every one that did an offering of silver and brass brought the Lord's offering. And every man with whom was found acacia or shittim wood for any work of the service brought it. And all the women that were wise hearted that spin with their hands and they brought what they have spun both of blue and of purple and of scarlet and of fine linen. These are precious Precious things. And all the women whose hearts stirred them up in wisdom spun goat's hair. And the rulers brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastplate. And spice and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense. And the children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord. Every man and woman whose heart made them willing to bring for all manner of work which the Lord had commanded to be made by the hand. Of Moses, So we see it here in the tabernacle. God's first outside of the garden, earthly dwelling place. And, and the commandments given by God, but God doesn't force. He doesn't uh, take control and use people like little robots. 
God is blessed by the free will of man as we respond to the commands of God with a willing heart. A willing heart. What a blessing to the Lord that is. You know he could make us do anything he wants. He's sovereign. But that's not how God works. That's not how God works. He wants a willing heart to come. And that's what we see at the, at, the, at the construction of the tabernacle. All these different people, their hearts have been stirred. We see that word willing again and again. And they're bringing things, not just anything, but precious things. Precious things. Because it's for the Lord and his work. Turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And we'll see this concept at the temple. The first temple. 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse number 1. Furthermore David the king said unto all the congregation... Solomon, my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender, and the work is great, for the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. And I have prepared with all my might uh, the house of my God, the gold for things to be made of gold, and the silver for things of silver, and the brass for things of brass, and the iron for things of iron, and the wood for things of wood, onyx stones and stones to be set, glistening stones of diverse colors, all manners of precious stones, and marble stones in abundance, these precious things. Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have of my own proper good of gold and silver I have given to the house of my God over and over over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, uh, even 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of offer, and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlaying the walls of the house withal, the gold for things of gold and the silver for the things of silver, and for all manner of work to be made by the hands of artificers, and who then is willing to consecrate his service this day to the Lord. Then the chief of the fathers, the princes of the tribes of Israel, and the captains of thousands of hundreds with the rulers of the king's work offered willingly and gave for the service of the house of God of gold 5,000 talents and 10,000 drams and of silver 10,000 talents and of brass 18,000 talents and 100,000 talents of iron. And they with whom precious stones were found gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord by the hand of Jehiel, the Gershonite, then the people rejoiced for that they offered willingly because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord and David the king also rejoiced with great joy. So we see this concept, we see it in the tabernacle, we see it in the temple that the people come and they give willingly. Why? Because their hearts have been stirred to give to the work of God and they give not just any old thing but precious things. Because it's God's work. And they give to it. This is the pattern. Not just basic things. Not just mundane things. Not just things we find lying about. But precious things. And giving precious things brings a sacrificial element to it. It costs you something. And the willing heart, the stirred heart, is willing to give that to God. And that's where the blessing is. It's not the financial transaction. 
It's the servant of God, the child of God, willingly recognizing that God has given them everything and be willing to give everything and anything they have to the Lord, no matter the cost, if that's what's needed. Precious thing. It's easy to give things that don't mean something to you. That's easy. That's easy. But giving something away that's precious, well, that's a different thing. You know, I said at the start, how, as a saved man, if you said to me, what's the most precious thing to me, I would say this Bible. And you were probably thinking, well, the Word of God is precious. And it is, but I'm talking about this Bible. This Bible. I bought this Bible before I got saved, where, where Claire was challenging me, uh, you know, about looking at Christianity. And, of course, I went on eBay, and uh, not really having a clue what I was doing, um, in terms of Bibles, you know, I hadn't been shopping for Bibles before. Um, went on eBay and found a study Bible. No idea at that time whether it was uh, any good or whether, you know, it was, you know, doctrinally sound, the study notes or whatever it might, might be. Anyway, went on and it was, it was going for absolutely near to nothing. And it looked a nice study Bible. And it's the, it's the New Pilgrim Study Bible, uh, KJV Student Edition. And I had this before I got saved. Then I got saved. This Bible has been with me from day one. And I'm glad to say the study notes are really good. They're dispensational and, and, and fit in. So the Lord had that. Even through eBay, the Lord had that in control for me. Praise the Lord. But I've had this. And this has been through with me through stages of my life. Difficult stages. Hard stages. Stages where I was struggling with the call of God to, to leave, which was, as you know, a very prosperous earthly career, and just abandon that, at, you know, in, in my 30s at that point. And I fought with the Lord, and that was difficult. I had difficult times and attacks upon my life as I've gone on in this journey. And, and this Bible, this Word of God has been precious to me, but more so this particular one, because it has my notes, it has my uh, life written all over it in my different stages and how I was called to ministry, how I was saved, John 14, 6, there's notes all over that. How I was brought to ministry, Jeremiah chapter 1, there's notes all over that. How, you know, I studied through Romans on my own and, and there's notes all over that. This is precious to me. So if somebody came in today and they didn't have a Bible and they wanted a Bible and they said, this is a church, I need a Bible, I want a Bible, I want to know about God, you know, I'm in a desperate place, I'm in a desperate situation, I want to know about God and I'd say, no problem, come into my office, there's tons of Bibles in there. Take your pick, have whatever one you want. And if they said, no, no, I don't, I want, I want your Bible, I want the one you use. I want the one that you've had since you were saved. I want the one that has all your notes in that. Will you give me that one? See how it changes things? Well, you can have any Bible in that office and there's tons of them. I have to sneak Bibles in. I feel, I feel like a bit like our house has got the iron curtain around it. I have to sneak Bibles in. Because I have somebody that sits and watches. And, and if there's another Bible that comes into the house, she's like, what do you need another Bible for? <laughs> Listen, it's, it's betrayed. I love Bibles. I love the study notes. I love, I love all about them. But this Bible, if somebody wanted this Bible, it would mean giving something that was really precious to me. And that would mean sacrifice, right? That would change it. That would change it. But if I was willing to do that, for the Lord, 
how much more would he bless me for that? Not physically, not financially, but just in my relationship with him. Because I'm willing to give up precious things for a precious soul that needs to be saved. So as the people go about the work to rebuild the temple, they're given things in Ezra chapter number 1, verse 6. They're given gold, they're given silver, they're given cattle, but also they're given precious things. Things are given sacrificially. Now here we get back to the the dodgy concept of giving to the Lord's work. Is it sacrificial? Or is it what's left? If it's sacrificial, it's precious to you. And that's more honouring to the Lord. Now, I'm not saying, you know, go out, give all your money to God, and then sit there and go, I can't pay my bills. That's not what it's about. But it is about giving sacrificially. When I first went to Spalding, uh, you know, five five or six years ago, um, when when they first called me down there, they were um, discussing how much they were going to pay me. And, and, you know, I didn't accept the position after I found out what was, I was going to be paid. I didn't want to know. I just wanted to know what the Lord wanted me to do. And then, then I found out. And, and same here, really. Um, you know, because I, I, I trust the Lord. But So I went to the first meeting when it had been made that, that um, I was going to come. And they were talking about, you know, finances. And they said, um, we're going to pay you, f- we're looking at about £400 a month. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay. And I said to them, and they said, is, is, is you know, what, what do you think? And I said, look, here's, here's what I think. And they had a, the treasurer there uh, who was an accountant uh, by, by trade, so very money-focused. And he was looking at what the church could afford, which is, which is sensible. But I said to him, I said, whatever you do and whatever you give, look at what you can afford and give a little bit more. doesn't have to be a big amount. It can be just a pound. It can be 10 pounds. It can be 20 pounds. More than what you think you can afford. Because at that point, you're sacrificing something, but you're also trusting the Lord. You're not being silly, but there has to be a sacrificial element in giving. It has to mean something. Because God is worthy of it. And it's not for his benefit. It's for ours. We have to get that. Giving is for our benefit personally and our walk with the Lord as we learn to trust him. And it means at times giving precious things. And here, you know, when I talk about giving, we're always talking about finance. That's what comes to our mind. But here's the thing that's most precious, I believe, to a lot of people today. Their time. Their time. And sometimes, giving your time to the Lord's work means sacrifice. And that's a precious thing because I understand the world today, it is. It's, it's, it's non-stop, unfortunately. And I don't think that's by accident. I think it's by design, clever design of our enemy. I mean, God's design wasn't for 24-7 society. Read that in Genesis. It's very clear. Up in the day, asleep at night. The enemy's taken that and he's turned it around and now it's non-stop and it's shift work and I understand people are affected by that and some people have to work weekends and, and everything else sometimes it just means a little bit of sacrifice <coughs> giving up something that's precious to you your time 
be balanced, be measured. But I just wonder how much of our giving, all of us, is of that which is precious to us. That which is precious to us. Another example I've seen in churches, and you know, I, you know, I love the heart of church people. But the amount of times I used to have somebody come to me and say, you know, we're throwing this out, pastor. Um, would the church want this? <laughs> and you're like, well, probably not. In my mind, well, probably not. But, you know, you, you'd be gracious and say, well, well what is it? Because sometimes you, you find things useful. But oftentimes, people are throwing away stuff that's not fit for purpose in their own house. And then they say, well, you can have it for the Lord's work. Really, they're saying, well, you get rid of this for me. That's a lot of the time. But how about if I walked into that house and said, you know, that's a, that's a nice uh, brand new sofa. The church really needs a sofa. Why don't you give us that one instead of the one that's been lying out in the garden for two weeks that you don't want? Oh, I couldn't do that. That's precious. We've just got that. That's cost me something. So you see the thought that the Lord's work should cost something. And we should be given precious things, whether it's our time, our money, our prayers, our support, whatever it may be. You know, your dignity. Next Sunday morning, your dignity may be precious to you. You may not want to dress up as a star and parade yourself. Some people are really looking forward to it, Rosemary, aren't you? You'd be your star. But, you know, it's given something that's precious to you to be part of what's going on in the Lord's work. So these people, they came and they gave abundantly. It wasn't flippant giving. It wasn't what they had left. They knew they couldn't go, so they came and they gave and they gave precious things. God had given them and they gave back. So the remnant, as they set off to go to the temple, to rebuild the temple, they set off in this great expectation they're returning with precious things but also i want you to see uh sorry they receive precious things but i want you to see they're also returning with precious things look at verse 7 of ezra chapter number one it says this also cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the lord which nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of jerusalem and put them in the house of his gods even those did Cyrus, king of Persia, bring forth by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, and numbered them unto Sheshbazzar, the prince of Judah. And this is the number of them, 30 charges of gold, 1,000 charges of silver, 9 and 20 knives, 30 basins of gold, silver basins of a second sort, 410, and other vessels 1,000. And all the vessels of gold and silver were 5,400. And all these things did Sheshbazzar bring with him Bring up with them of the captivity that were brought up from Babylon into Jerusalem. So here we have the return of the vessels that were taken from the temple during the exile. Turn to 2 Kings uh, chapter number 24 and we'll see this. 2 Kings chapter 24. Verse number 8. I'm in 1 Kings and I'm going, there's no 24 there. 2 Kings, chapter 24 and verse number 8. Jehoiakim was 18 years old when he began to reign and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. 
And his mother's name was Nehushtah, the daughter of Elnatha of Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. And at the time of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city and his servants to besiege it. And Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon. He and his mother and his servants and his princes and his officers and the king of Babylon took him in the eighth year of his reign. And he carried out thence all the treasures of the house of the Lord, the treasures of the king's house, and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold which the king of Israel made in the temple of the Lord, as the Lord had said. And he carried away all Jerusalem, all the princes, all the mighty men of valor, even 10,000 captains, uh, captives, and all the craftsmen and smiths, none remained, save the poorest sword of the people of the land. So here we have, uh, you know, this, the, the people being carried away into exile. The temple is being ransacked. The treasures of the house of the Lord are being taken away. They're being destroyed, being carried off uh, by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and Nebuchadnezzar certainly, I would believe, uh, has kept these because they're being returned some of these. Why has he kept them? I think probably they're trophies for him, no doubt. But he, he, he's kept them. And, and you read that and you think, well, it's Nebuchadnezzar that's took them away. And it is in one extent. But on the other side of this, we have to understand that God is behind every scene of history that he's moving. And he's moving this scene of history because they're being taken into captivity. Why are they being taken into captivity? They're being taken into captivity because of their disobedience. The time of their captivity has been prophesied. God is doing this. So really, who took the, the, the treasures out of the, house of the temple in Jerusalem? Ultimately, it's God has moved them and now ultimately it is God who is bringing them back and allowing the return of those precious things because they need some of those things to rebuild the temple and start the sacrificial worship once again and what we understand then is God is sovereign absolutely sovereign Turn to Jeremiah. Actually, turn to Isaiah, chapter number 44. This is the God that we are dealing with today. God hasn't changed. Isaiah 44, verse number 1. Now, by interpretation, God is speaking to his elect people, Israel. But by application, we can see that God still speaks like this to us today that he can be trusted that he is sovereign that he alone is God and that's a message that we need to hear this morning we do in a world that is spinning out of control and make no mistake as the weeks go on here the media will spin and everything will get out of control and fear will come upon people it will now we're to be sensible but never fearful never fearful because we belong to the sovereign God. Sensible, absolutely. But not afraid. Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the room, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, Jerusalem, for whom I have chosen. 
For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thy offering. And they shall bring up as among the grass and as willows by the water courses. One shall say I am the Lord's and another shall call himself by the name of Jacob. Another shall subscribe with his hands unto the Lord and surname himself by the name of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and and the last and beside me there is no God and who as I shall call and declare it and set in order for me since I appointed the ancient people I want to read that again because this is the sovereign God who moves history and whom as I shall call and should declare it and set an order for me since I appointed the ancient people he says to his people Israel I am in control I am sovereign. I'm the one who called, appointed, who declared. Who else can do this but me? I alone am God. Verse 8. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have I not told thee that from a time and hath declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. And, and impactful words for Israel, yeah. That they worship the one true God who was over them. Who sets his sovereignty before them and says, I'm in control. Trust me. Follow me. Obey me. Fear not. And as these items are returned, this is just God doing what he said he would do. Bringing the people back to the place that they shouldn't have left but for their disobedience. It was always God in control. It was never the Babylonians. It was never the Assyrians. It was never the Egyptians before that. It was always God in control. And because of that, the people were not to fear. And this return of these precious things should have been a reminder to them. That God was with them as they go out to do the work of God. Now we take that and we apply that to the church today. And we go back to the thought that we had last week. That God's work, remember the quote, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. And when we read it here, when God deals with his people of old, we have to understand we are his people today and he is the same God, the sovereign God that will provide what we need to do the work that we need to do without fear. That's so important. So important. As we go about God's work today. See, the time of Ezra, the people would have been nervous. The people would have been probably at times a little doubtful, a little fearful, and struggling a little. But the return of these precious things and the receiving of these precious things would have encouraged the people that were going to do the work. Not only did they have the support of the people, which is important. Claire's prayed for that this morning. But also knowing that they have the support of God 
that he is stirring them and he is calling them and he is the one that is driving them to be where they ought to be. And as they enter into that journey, they have to have rejoices. Rejoice that they are prepared. They are ready. They have received precious things. And they are getting the return of precious things that are needed for the work of God. So God stirred the hearts of those people. My prayer is that God is stirring our hearts. Because there is a work to be done. And it is a battle, folks. It is a battle. It is a war of attrition. It's going to be difficult as we enter into January. We don't know what restrictions are going to be placed. We have to work and, 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 and be a good testimony. But also the Lord's work must go on. And that means we have to get clever or whatever it may be. We have to uh, try and think about how we do things. But God's work must go on. It must go on. And wouldn't it be an encouragement for all of us to see the support of God's people in that? And when we see the support of God's people as their hearts are stirred, we will definitely, without doubt, mark it down, see the support of God as he blesses us as we go about his work. The working Christian is a blessed Christian, without a shadow of a doubt. Ezra's people, they return. They return to build the temple. But it does cost something. It does cost something. There's a sacrificial element. I wonder what we're willing to sacrifice. Some of us are. We sacrifice our time. Some of us are sacrificing our finances, giving above and beyond what we've been blessed with. Some of us are holding on to those precious things. Our time, our money, our dignity. <laughs> Whatever it may be. I wonder would the Lord stir your heart this morning. Before him, not before men. Not before other people. But before the Lord. To get on board for the journey that lies ahead. These people were embarking on a journey. And part of that journey, they received precious things, they had the return of precious things as they embark upon what is a precious return. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time in your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for those people of Ezra's day that you stirred their heart, but, Lord, they responded willingly to be about your work and go about your business. And, Lord, I pray you would stir our hearts, not out of guilt, but out of devotion, out of love, Lord, to just serve you, to love you, to walk with you, and Lord, ultimately be blessed by you, by the relationship that we have with you. Lord, I'm thankful, so thankful, for those that have gone before us and sacrificed so much that we can be here today and we can have the word of God in our hands. Lord, people sacrificed. They gave precious things. Lord, help us not to be a generation that deserts our post. Lord, help us not to be a generation that thinks only about ourselves. But Lord, we want to be about your business and your work. 
Again, Lord, not out of guilt, but out of love. Lord, I do pray that you would help us this morning just to remember that you are indeed sovereign. Lord, we want to be sensible in the precautions that we take, but Lord, never let us be fearful. Death has no sting. The grave has no victory. And we thank you for that, Lord. I do pray for any head bowed here this morning or anyone listening at home is struggling in their walk with you. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage them to know that you are the sovereign God, but also help them to be encouraged, Lord, that you are a God that cares about every little thing in our lives. Lord, I do pray for those that are entering in the Christmas season and, Lord, may face difficulties or trials or loneliness or whatever it may be. Lord, I pray that they would turn their eyes upon Jesus, look to the one who is above all things, and be rejoiced in our great God and our loving Heavenly Father, in whose name we pray. Amen.